Well, last week I started a two-part series called Intrigued by God. And today what I want to do is I want to touch on Intrigued by God's Grace. You know, when we talked last week, we talked about a people that are intrigued by God, proclaim, propagate, and penetrate the lives of people around them with the message of Christ. But being clear on that message is key. Being clear on what the message of Christ is, is key. And so 1 Corinthians, our, our scripture for this series, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Can you say, I love Jesus today? Let's do that. Jesus, we love you. That's the key to being in God's grace, is staying in love with Jesus. Amen? We learned that the word intrigue means to arouse the curiosity or interest or to fascinate. That interest in that sense, the synonyms that go with this is the word interest, the state of wanting to know or learn about something or someone. That's why we come to church. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we, we pray to interact and, and commune with God by the power of His Holy Spirit, with the person of the Holy Spirit, so that we get to know that someone, if you will, all in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to uh, fascinate, draw irresistibly the attention and interest of someone. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what Jesus has done to me. Irresistibly, Jesus has arrested my attention. He has my attention, and I want to follow him. I want to know him. I want to study about him. But more than that, I want to interact with Jesus. Can you say amen? So in, in the midst of that, uh, today being Palm Sunday, I wanted to focus on what the message of the resurrection is before we get there, what it is in its context of grace. To understand that the grace of God is the reason why Jesus came. God's favor towards mankind is the reason why Jesus came to the earth. Yes, he came to die on a cross, but it wasn't dying on the cross that was the focus point. The focus of Jesus dying on the cross was you and I. It was God's favor towards mankind through his son Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew uh, 21, 1-9 states this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foil of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, on the road, excuse me, others cut down branches. These, this is why it's called Palm Sunday. They cut down palm branches and they, uh, from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes, say multitudes. You understand that's thousands of people. The multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
So here's the thing. When you think about the triumphal entry, when you think about Palm Sunday, this, this time when Jesus is riding in, just as the prophet prophesied, as I was praying and talking about the types and shadows of the Old Testament, Jesus comes and he's fulfilled everything. He has fulfilled everything that the prophets prophesied that he would do. This is one of those moments where he's fulfilling what the prophets prophesied. And he's riding in, and in this moment, what what you have to see is interesting. In all of his ministry, Jesus is telling people, he heals them and says, tell no one. They want to make him him king, and what does he do? When when he's in the midst, he's healing people, and they, you know, Jesus, you know, and what does he do? He he moves out of the crowd and, and basically goes off to a desert place. He doesn't allow them to elevate him to that place of kingship. But on this day, say on this day, on this day, Jesus is riding in, and what he's doing is he's declaring himself the Messiah to all of Israel. Now, now, don't mistake this. There are many who believe. There are multitudes going before him and behind him. And what are they doing? They're crying out and declaring who he is. Now, the establishment, if you will, the Pharisees and Sadducees, all those folks, they consider it to be blasphemy because they don't see him as the Messiah, even though God himself in human form riding in the way the prophets said that Messiah would come, they can't see it. They were blind. The Bible says that that they missed the moment of their visitation. Say they missed it. See, they missed it. It wasn't that they, they, they were given opportunity, but they missed that opportunity to acknowledge him for who he was. Now, God already knew this was going to happen, and, and it was going to work a work of redemption for all mankind, not just Israel, but for all mankind. Because Israel missed its time of visitation, it sets up the whole world to receive Jesus Christ because they didn't receive him. Now, those that were going in and did believe, obviously we know they continued uh, to follow him. When he died on the cross, they they were distraught, and here's why. He's riding in, declaring himself to be the Messiah, but next thing you know, he's being arrested, and then what? He's being crucified. So in his disciples' minds, it's like, wait a minute, I thought you were the one. Isn't that right? But there was a third day that was going to come, and that was going to be the day where the, the king rises out of the grave a savior who has died for the world not going to die but who has died for the world past tense died and now he rises again and he comes in 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 uh in power in that in that moment he begins to walk around uh, 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 the, the, the land, if you will, and, and the disciples are seeing him, and they're seeing others who have come up out of the grave, and there's this moment of power that takes place that we'll celebrate next week. But Jesus coming in in that moment, I want to point out this. They're Mount Olive, it points out that, that they're at Mount Olive, and you need to understand that when he's coming in, he's coming through the eastern gate. And the eastern gate, uh, the Bible says that the Lord always comes by way of the east. In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, he comes by way of the east. And so here comes Jesus coming by the way of the eastern gate, entering into the city. But when he comes, he's coming through two key points. You see one pointed out, Mount of Olive, Mount Olivet, as it's called. And this is the place, by the way, that Jesus is coming back again. 
on his return, the Bible says that when Jesus returned, his foot will light or land on Mount Olivet and it will split. He will come in all his power and glory and Mount Olivet will split. There will be no more questions about who he is. There won't need to be any preaching anymore. We'll need to proclaim this wonderful message of grace because grace itself will have manifested once and for all. Like, well, that doesn't seem like that'll be grace. Oh, it's grace. It's called the grace of judgment. That God won't allow the earth, he will not allow mankind to be subjected to this fallen state for all eternity. See, his spirit strives with us to draw us to himself But in the midst of that, there is a moment where God says, this is all over, and no longer is man going to strive, but for all eternity. Listen, if you think about what it is to be in the grace of God, you have those moments where you experience, it's like, man, God really is moving in my life. I got saved, and God did this, or God did this miracle in my life, or he did that in my life. He restored this, or he restored that. And the the, the beauty of that moment, you got to understand, eternity is filled with that and nothing else. There's no more sorrow, there's no more weeping, there's no, you get no more pain. All, all that's gone. That's the manifestation. God's judgment in that final moment will be the manifestation of his grace in its fullest form because he frees mankind from those surly bonds of this earth. Amen? Now to understand that though, you got to go over here and you got to understand. So he's entering in this, there's this, this uh, road that leads in. They're on this road that leads in, Mount Olivet. Well, right over here is the Garden of Gethsemane. And when I say right over here, um, if we were to walk out the, the front door here and say that this is Mount, because this is a high point in this area, right? So let's say this was Mount Olivet, and, and, and you walked out of here, and you looked down to Peterson Road. Basically what you do is we walk down the Peterson Road, and we're at Garden of Gethsemane. And there, there's a road that goes right between the two. So the, the manifestation of his grace that will come is the result of the grace that was manifested in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus wrestled with his humanity, wrestled with, you know, he had done no wrong, but he was about to go and take the wrongs of mankind upon himself. Well, are you intrigued by God's grace yet? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with that, and he comes to the ultimate moment where he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I will go to the cross, and I will die for mankind. The manifestation of God's grace for all of us. That he who knew no sin became sin for every single one of us. Amen. I'm intrigued by God's grace. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11 says this, and the God of all grace, say all grace, not some grace, all grace, who called you, say who called me, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Mount Olivet, he didn't just call you in this moment to live for God and then you die and it's all over. No, he called you for eternal glory that when Jesus returns and manifests the fullness of his grace for mankind, laying off these mortal bodies and having a new glorified body. So you got to have a glorified body to be in glory. Flesh can't stand in the glory of God. So flesh has to be laid down so that you can pick up that 
new glorified body that God's going to give you to be in glory with him forever. Listen to this. His eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, this, this life is the only suffering you'll ever know. Understand that, that, that those who do not accept the work that Christ has done reject grace and accept law. The Bible says that law is for the lawless. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, and in fulfilling it, gives an invitation to mankind to accept his work, his work to provide us grace. What is that? Say unmerited favor. You don't earn it. He gives it to you. It's a free gift where he invites you in to experience his life. After you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, this goes right back to that, that, that salvation is by grace and grace alone, lest any man would glory. Right? We can't glory in anything. Christ died for us so that we could have salvation, and it's not something that we've attained by our works. Can you say amen? So the big idea today then is our God is the God of all grace and extends his grace, his unmerited favor towards us in so many different ways. I want to show you the word grace in, in, in uh, the vines. It says it's called charis. It, in the objective sense, it is that which bestows or occasions pleasure, delight, or causes favorable regard. Read that again. In the objective sense, it is that which bestows or occasions pleasure, delight, or causes favorable regard. In the subjective sense, it is uh, on the part of the bestower, the friendly disposition from which the act proceeds, graciousness or loving kindness, goodwill, especially with reference to divine favor or grace that can't be earned, Never can earn it, and the only way you're going to get it is to do what? Simply receive it. Listen to Romans 5, 12 through 17, what it says concerning this. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. In other words, if there's nothing to measure it by, then how can you gauge it? You can't, there, there's no way to, well, what's right, what's wrong? God gave the law to, to show us this is righteousness, this is truth, this is the way it is, the way he intended it to be, and mankind has fallen short of that. Mankind doesn't have the ability to rise to that moment, but Christ comes and what he does, by grace, mankind cannot do by law. What he offers us when we enter into him is basically to die. That's an interesting invitation, isn't it? He offers an invitation for us to die to ourselves and let him live in us. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. There's, there's something about uh, what I said, knowing about Christ Knowing something about him is very different than knowing him. Having a relationship with him 
interacting because here's what takes place. Let me say it this way. We'll, we'll touch on a few different areas with this. Where it comes to my plans and what I'm going to do with my day, Angie, I don't care what you think. How's that hit you? You're not thinking about that. You're thinking about how she's going to hit me when we get home. <laughs> you get where I'm coming from with that. If, if I say to Angie, I don't care what you think, am I really in a, a relationship with her? I need to care what she thinks to be in a relationship with her. Would you agree with that? Give me an amen if you agree. If, if I don't care what people I'm in relationship with think, then guess what? I'm not really in a relationship with them. It's part of why I say that when we, we uh, uh, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we bend our knee and submit to the Lordship of Christ, that it's not a declaration of Jesus. You have no right to tell me how to live my life. It's actually the opposite. Jesus, you have every right to tell me how to live my life. And the day I married Angie, the day we entered into covenant marriage, right? What happened? They too become what? One flesh. We became one. And that's why if, if, if I'm out and about or whatever and she doesn't know where I'm at, she, she'll call me and say, where are you at? I'm not saying like, what's it matter? It's none of your business. I'm here, this is what I'm doing, and I'll be home at this time. Vice versa for her when she answers her phone. <laughs> we had one the other day, man. I was shopping at King Supers, and uh, they changed the, the rules. I don't know the pin to my card. I just, you know, I swipe it, and it's like, okay, just credit. And uh, so they changed the, uh, the debit cards. You can't use them. They can't be just done as credit anymore. You have to know your pin. So I get there. I do all the shopping, and uh, I got a full cart. You know, all of it's put in the cart, ready to go, put my card in, and, and uh, I'm like, so how do I... Isn't it X? Doesn't, don't you just like do that and then it just goes through? And he's like, oh, we don't do that anymore. I'm like, what do you mean you don't do that anymore? He's like, well, you can't use your debit card for, you know, as a credit card anymore. I'm like, so I got to know my pin? He went, yep, you got to know your pin. I'm like, well, that's messed up. <laughs> and a whole thing of grocery. Man, I just spent the last 45 minutes. Man. So you know how that goes. You're like, I just... I don't have time for this mess, you know. So I go out, I call Angie, no answer. Call Angie, no answer. Call Angie, no answer. Because she carries the checkbook with her. And I'm like, man. So I call Danielle. Well, you seen your mom? She goes, she's right here with me. <laughs> so when I want to talk to Angie, I talk to Danielle. And that's kind of what it's like having the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if you don't know how to talk to Jesus, you need someone else that's, you getting me on that? See, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit, the Spirit draws us, right? And He'll speak, the Bible says He'll speak of the Son. And the Son speaks of the Father. There, there's, there's a relationship in the Godhead that flows right on down to every one of us in the body of Christ. And when we're filled with the Spirit of God, it's actually so that we have continual communion. Look. You don't have a problem with God not picking up the phone when you call. You understand? Because he's not limited. He's not limited. We are. If you feel like, I just don't feel like God's talking to me, or I don't feel like he's giving me guidance or direction, or whatever. 
I, I just need to, everybody look up here right now. Look me as square in the eyes as you can. Some of you are looking square, you know, diagonally, but that's fine. The communication problem is not on God's end. Come on now. God, God doesn't have a problem getting in touch with you. It's you either allowing it or pursuing it yourself. Now, is that too hard? Y'all give me that stare right now. Like, yeah, you can tell me that all day long. I know God doesn't talk to me. But the problem's not on God's end. The Bible is communication to mankind. It really truly is a, a love letter from God. And it's like, yeah, well, when I read through some of that, it doesn't feel like a love letter. It's what your kids say to you when you spank them sometimes or you ground them, right? This is going to hurt me worse than it does you. I really don't want to do this, but I have to, you know, because I love you. Yeah, well, it doesn't feel like you love me. God loves us. Some of the things that he wants to speak to, I think sometimes we become the hardest of hearing when God's speaking things we don't want to hear. Amen? So, so in that, let me read this again. In the objective sense... It is that which bestows or occasions pleasure, delight, or causes favorable regard. We have to see God's word, his way of living, that's favorable regard. And somebody said one time that, you know, when you read all these rules from God, it's like, well, it's safety. All God's doing is defining safety and blessing. Do this and I'll do this. When he defines that, Jesus comes and fulfills it. And watch this. Then Jesus says this. I'm giving it to you. I'm just going to give it to you. Even though you fall short here and you fall short here, I'm, I'm going to give that to you. Really quiet in here right now. You know why? That has a little bit of that feeling like that's too good to believe. That's why it's called good news. Amen? <laughs> uh, let's go on through Romans here. Nevertheless, death, death reigned from Adam to Moses. This is verse 14. Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. That's Jesus. But the free gift, say free gift, is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Adam sinned one time and welcome to sin to all mankind. Mankind sins a multitude upon multitude, generation after generation, if you calculate it. It's beyond the thousands. It's in the, who knows, millions and millions and billions. Who knows how many sins there has been. But by the one man's act, all that sin is erased because of his obedience to fulfill everything that the law stated and all that the prophets prophesied. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Key here, the abundance of grace, we reign in life. How? By the one, through the one, through the one. Say through. Through the one Jesus Christ. 
You want God's grace? You want the gift of his grace? You want the blessings of the promise? The thing is, is stay close to Jesus. It's, it's really that simple. It's like, well, I got to find out all these rules and laws. No, be in a living relationship with Jesus. Read the Gospels and find out how Jesus talked about it. Let's uh, look here. There was actually a, uh, during a British conference uh, on comparative religions, that's the religions, you know, you know Buddhism, Hinduism, all the different religions, they were, they were doing a conference talking about comparative religions. Experts from around the world debated, what if any belief, what if any belief was unique to the Christian faith? Is there one one thing that stands out about the Christian faith that you can't find in other religions. They began eliminating various possibilities. And, and, and be it fact or, or fiction. In other words, people making it up in those religions versus you know, it actually happening. Okay, So like Jesus was resurrected, right? There, there have been proclamations at others in, in other religions that they, they raised from the dead, if you will. So here's what happened. Incarnation. Other religions had different version of, versions of God's, God appearing in human form. Take Greek mythology, right? We see it in Greek mythology. Uh, resurrection. Again, other religions had or showed or pointed to the return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. <laughs> and he used the word here. What's the rumpus all about? He asked and, and, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among the world's religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. <laughs> it's grace. It's grace. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant of Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. It's only Christianity that dares to make God's love unconditional. It's only Christianity that says, I give you and ask you to come my way. I don't require you to do, and then you are. I require you to accept what I've done, and you are and will be. He who has begun a good work in you. In other words, the moment your faith is ignited in what Jesus did on the cross for you, you are Cleanse from all your sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, you are white as snow. And all of a sudden, it's a consistent invitation. It's like, yeah, but I messed up. Right, keep coming my way. Keep coming my way, and I'll keep working that in you, and I'll keep working that in you, and I'll keep working that in you. Until one day, guess what? You still won't achieve perfection. On the day you die, I'll guarantee you, you're not going to be perfect in all his ways. Or the day he returns, you will not be perfect in all of his ways. But Jesus is. And if he is in your heart, and if you have a relationship with him, enter in to the rest. That's why it's called a rest. You get the rest from all this mess down here, and God manifests the fullness of his grace, and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more of this. <clears throat> Matthew five forty five. It's grace. Hold on. Let me see. Hmm. God's unconditional love, let me, let me finish this here. It says, so, how aware are we of the inbuilt resistance to grace? Are you resistant to God's grace in your life? Do you feel like you need to get better? How many of you got saved? You know, you heard the gospel. People say, oh, hey, you know, God loves you. It's like, well, how could he love me? 
I've heard people say so often, it's like, if I could just do this or this, then, then maybe God could. That's not how God works. God says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's something in us, and I, I, I look at our society today and all the nitpicking and judgment, and yeah, you just turn the TV on and you see the negativity. It, it is, is unbelievable, the negativity that, it, that is out there. But that's not how God thinks towards us. It's not just positive thinking. And the reason why it's not just positive thinking, it's not something you're saying, oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. It's he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. Because he did it, you can. So it's not your efforts. It's Christ's effort and his accomplishment at work within you and your willingness to yield to that, to simply receive it by his grace. He described a world immersed with God's grace. Jesus talked about a world immersed in God's grace where the sun shines on people good and bad. Matthew 5.45 states it this way, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Here's the reality. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. If somebody wrongs us, we don't want to give them grace. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen. Right? We wouldn't, but God does. That's why he's different than us. And that's why we follow him and not the other way around. Let me ask you, are you intrigued by God's grace today? Jesus communicated grace through stories and through parables. We are accustomed to finding a catch in every promise, but Jesus' stories of extravagant grace include no catch, no loophole that disqualifies us from God's love. It simply gives us a choice to accept it or not. Let me read that again. We are accustomed to finding a catch in every promise. It's like, hey, uh, man, you want to buy this product because it's like, what's the catch? God says, hey, I'm going to give you unmerited favor. I'm going I'm to bless you. You're blessed and you're not cursed. I'm going to invite you to come into my presence through the work of my son, not any effort of your own. It's like, well, wait a minute. What do you want from me? Come on now. <laughs> Somebody says, hey, I want to give you this. What's your first thought? What do they want? Now, maybe not always, but, but that's in the back of our head. Why, why are they doing that for me, right? Because we, we go to work every day. We earn a paycheck, you know? Our kids earn their allowance. We start teaching that stuff early on, don't we? You know, you want ice cream? Finish your peas. Come on now, <laughs> Right? Hmm. not God so share the good news and let people express the notion that it is too good to be true here's what my kids used to say I would hear them talking and somebody would say something that was true and it was kind of like one of those things where you know like they say it and it's like yeah that, that's, that's a given and, and there's this statement that came I'd never heard until Danielle said it first and she'd go I know right I'm like what does that mean? It's like, well, I'm just saying I agree. I'm like, then say you agree. What the world does that mean? I know, right? You know? So, but anyway, I started picking it up too. I know, right? You know? And here's the thing. Like, when you share the gospel with people for what it is, and they start seeing Jesus for who he really is, it's attractive. It's attractive. People want it. Share it in such a way that people look at you and go, I know, right? Hmm. 
For instance, the story of the prodigal son, Jesus tells us, instead of a father publicly humiliated, humili- uh, instead of a father uh, who humiliated his son, he publicly humiliates himself by rushing out to embrace his son, smelling like a pig, filthy and dirty, squandered all that he had. The father embarrasses himself, hiking up his gown and, and running to the son to embrace him, not humiliate him. There is no solemn lecture from the father. I hope you've learned your lesson. Instead, Jesus tells of a father's exhilaration, this is my son, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then he adds the phrase, they began to make merry. Grace occasions pleasure, delight, or calls for favorable regard. What blocks forgiveness is not God's uh, reticence. What blocks forgiveness is not God's reticence. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. God's arms are always extended. We are the ones who turn away. And I would say if there's any, all of us are a prodigal to some degree, but if there's any place you can recognize the attitude of the prodigal, if you could see that the Father simply wants to run to you and embrace you, and He wants to create a time of celebration because of the relationship that you and He have. Jesus puts the grace of God on display in three stories here. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, all of which seem to make the same point, really. The, that there's a, a, a joyous time when you find something that's lost. Have you ever lost something and found it? You know, it's pretty exciting when you do. <clears throat> Each underscores the loser's sense of loss, tells the thrill of rediscovery, and ends with a scene of jubilation, grace, occasions pleasure, delight, or causes favorable regard. Let me ask you, are you intrigued by God's grace today? Because that's how he thinks about you. Jesus says, in effect, do you want to know? Are you interested? Are you fascinated with how God feels towards you and others. When one of you pays attention to me, it feels like I just reclaimed my most valuable possession, which I had lost. I see your interest, your state of wanting to know and learn about me, that you are fascinated, drawn irresistibly to the attention and interest of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, irresistibly to a relationship with one who would love you when you were unlovable. You know, I often point back to the testimony of nine years old praying for a wife who would love me and never leave me through anything. And I think back on that because I I saw such turmoil in my family, everybody fighting and everybody, and they still to this day hold grudges against one another. And it is the the worst thing to, to be around them, to watch them talk about things from 20, 30 years ago and talking bad about that person. And, and yet the relationship that I have with them stays on the up level and positive because I refuse to allow relationship to be defined by where they fall short. I refuse. And when they want to focus there, it's like you all can do that, but I don't live my life in condemnation because Jesus has given me an ability to walk in his promise and his grace, not only him towards me, but now me towards others. That doesn't mean embracing that kind of life. What that means is, is do you think Jesus, does Jesus, um, let me say this, does his righteous standard change because of his grace extended to us? 
No, he lives, he is who he is, right? So we are and are meant to live a righteous life, and Christ is the one that allows us to do that. This is where uh, the grace of God is never to be taken in vain. So while I share God's love towards us to understand not to try the blood of Christ underfoot, that when somebody says basically it doesn't matter what you do, Jesus died on the cross for it and you can keep doing it, that's not the gospel. <laughs> the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And what is the curse of the law? That sin brings death. And he lifts us above that. Amen. So listen to this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, uh, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And then our scripture with regard to the grace of God in our life. If, if there's anything, if there's anything I could say for all of us where our relationship with Christ is concerned, to understand God's grace in our life, is the key to experiencing this scripture right here. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's when you mess up, it's when you make mistakes, that you start to think that God doesn't love you anymore. And if you get in that mindset, then it's hard for you to believe that God has prepared good things for you. Can you say Amen. It's very difficult to believe that God has good things for you when the perception of, of all that God has promised is not through his grace, but through your effort, through your works, whether you do well or you do bad. And that is not the way God measures it. Actually, God measures it so that you can succeed as long as you keep your eyes fixed on him and you keep moving his direction. You fall, get back up. Because the Bible declares that a righteous man will fall seven times and get back up. Now you all know, I believe, that the number seven is an indication of perfection. So he who has begun that good work will perform it or perfect it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That number seven being perfection, you might fall seven times. Anybody fallen, fell more than seven times, fallen short of this wonderful walk in Jesus Christ more than seven times in your life? I can guarantee you've had some bad arguments with that spouse at least seven times or more. You know, somebody's cut you off on the road a few times and you didn't have such good things to say about them. A boss ticked you off or an employee did. Yeah, what I'm saying is, is that you fall seven times. You look, when Jesus, when this race is over and you lay this body off, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, your trust is in his work for you, and you keep moving towards that, I'm telling you the grace of God will not fall short concerning your salvation. It will not fall short concerning eternity for you. So in conclusion, I want to ask you this. What do people encounter when they come to Gateway? Do they encounter us as a congregation? We as a people that gather when, when folks come. Do they encounter hope? Do they encounter an invitation into God's grace? Do they encounter rejection? The, the one thing I would say, and I want to praise this congregation, even some of the new people that have been coming, we've sat with them and and uh, like you know, the one thing, we visited four or five churches and we just felt such love at Gateway Church. We felt just a, a love in the people of Gateway. Our vision is to do what? Love God, love others, and make disciples. Make disciples, what's that? 
teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded to do. What did he command? Love God, love others. It's really rather simple. Walking in love is the key. But we can't do that without grace. <laughs> See, when the grace of God is working in our life, it's easier for us to extend grace to others, isn't it? And that's what I believe that we've emphasized over and over and over again here at Gateway. And I believe it needs to be shared with more and more people. Can you say amen? So I ask you this uh, next question is, what do people encounter when they meet you? I hope they encounter grace. I hope they encounter a, uh, a life that's filled with the grace of God so that they get a sense of what the good news is. Because the good news is an invitation for them to enter in the new and living way. To enter in that narrow, it's a narrow way. But it is a, a way that's alive and it's living and it will breathe life into them. It will lift those heavy burdens. It will break the yokes of alcoholism. It will break the, the yokes of, of bondage in their life. If they can get near the grace of God, the anointing of God on your life to manifest His grace through His message, it will break those yokes off of them and it will lift those burdens off of their life and they too will experience what it is to have an amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. Could you say amen? So I want to challenge you. Those eggs that you have, don't go home and eat the candy out of them, throw the invite away. Find somebody to invite that needs the grace of God to work in their life. Could you say amen? Let's pack this place out next week and let them hear the resurrection message of Jesus Christ and let many come to know what it is to experience the love of God. Amen? Stand to your feet with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and God, this morning, I thank you for your people. Lord, I pray that, that each of us go out of here today intrigued, not only by you, God, but intrigued by the way you manifest your grace towards us. God, America has been built on productivity, and the culture itself has this. You've got to work harder. You've got to do more got to produce more and Lord I, I get that in a society but Lord I understand also how it can frame our mind to think that we have to earn things from you and Lord it couldn't be further from the truth so Father I'm praying today that those mindsets would begin to melt a God that that as your word declares that we're to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I pray, Lord, that your word touches our minds today with regard to our relationship with you and how we can set it up to measure just like we do everything else in life. Games that we watch and the points on the board, whichever one puts the most points on the board, they win the game. God, that's not the way it is with you. Be it uh, poor or rich, bond or free, male or female, Jew or Greek. Lord, that's not how we're recognized in Christ Jesus. As your word does declare, there's not a male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Greek in Christ. It's not something earned. Father, when we Celebrate next week on Resurrection Sunday. 
I pray that this message of grace is resonating in our minds and hearts so that we understand that there's a day of resurrection for us. Because of his resurrection, we will be resurrected. And that is not something from this point to that point that, Father, are check marks or a list. It is a relationship with you that's real, Lord, that's true and genuine. And I pray we go out of here today, Lord, thinking on these things. Father, there are key changes in our life and all facets of it where you're first, you're the big G, not the small G. Where it comes to our work, where it comes to our marriage, our relationships, our, our families, God, everything. That we let you be big G in our life and, and allow your grace to pour out. Because God, only if you are God in our life can your grace come. That's the, that is the only thing, it's that decision that we make. And when we make that decision, you come and you work in our life. So Father, may we ever be looking at who has the big G or what has the big G in our life. I hope it's you. I hope it's you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Invite your friends.